Mark 13, and uh, we're down to verse 27 tonight, and uh, we're slowly making headway. A um, couple verses here each evening. So again, here the Lord, uh, he's talking to the 12 uh, about their future ministry, uh, the minister, how they're going to be ministering in the days ahead here. Uh, I, they, um, they don't know anything about the dispensation of grace. And uh, they're just focused in on their program, uh, verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation, so again, after that tribulation, that is the 70th week of Daniel, uh, back in verse 14. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, and let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And that's that midst of the week timing. So then after all of that happens, he says, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars of heaven shall fall, the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And again, all that cosmetic, cosmic uh, uh, activity, and we looked at that and how he's going to come back in verse 26, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And that issue of the cloud, the darkness, uh, the sun goes out, and it, now, again, the, the, it's not like the, he unplugged the sun and he unplugged the moon. He's going to put up a, a cloud there. A, a, he's going to hide the light. And it's in that darkness as the backdrop, then they're going to see him coming in great power and in great glory. And, and we've looked at all of that up to this point. Um, and again, what they've asked the Lord back in verse 4 in the second Olivet Discourse, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled. And that's what he's going to say, verse 26, and then shall they see the Son of Man. So there's, there's all of this activity going to be happening after the, 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 that tribulation. So we're, in, we're talking about his second coming. And again, they know nothing about the dispensation of grace. And that's why when you go into the book of Daniel, where Daniel prophetically lays out the times of the Gentiles, and he gives that, that description of that image, and you have Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, carries them away into captivity, that fifth course of judgment, Leviticus 26. We're going to go back there in a minute and see it. And what happens is, is that starts the times of the Gentiles politically, where they're going to rule and reign over the earth. Here are the Gentile kingdoms in the earth. And then he talks, then Daniel talks about, well, the Messiah is going to come back. He's going to destroy those kingdoms, Daniel 2, 44 and 45, and then set up his own kingdom and rule and reign in the earth. So he starts in Babylon, then he goes to Media, Persia, then he goes to Greece, and that fourth kingdom, he doesn't name, okay? He lets it ride. And Daniel doesn't identify that kingdom because that kingdom is the kingdom that Christ is going to come back and destroy and conquer out. Now, historically, we know that kingdom to be Rome because we've seen it. But the reason that he doesn't identify it in Daniel is God knows what's going to happen. He knows about the dispensation of grace. He's going to interrupt that. 
if he had named, actually that fourth kingdom ends up being the kingdom of the Antichrist, out future of us. If he had named that kingdom in Daniel, then what did he just say? Hey, guess what? There's going to be an interruption in the program, see? And he can't do that because the mystery doc, dispensation of grace is a mystery. It's a secret. So God knew it wouldn't be Rome, even though historically, what do we know? Who comes up after Greece? Greece gets uh, Alexander the Great. It gets shepherded out into four sub-kingdoms. And by the way, Daniel says that. But then Rome, the Roman Greco Empire, they take control. So you have all of that going on here. But again, instead of identifying the kingdom as Rome or, you know, and focusing in on Europe, which, by the way, is what all of the prophecy preachers do. They instantly go, well, it's Rome and it's the Roman Catholic Church and it's this and this. And, and it, that's not in the prophetic scriptures at all. Actually, that's reading into scripture stuff that isn't in scripture. And again, the, 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 they miss the dispensation of grace. They miss the interruption to the program. So God knows about the, the dispensation of grace, and he knew it was going to interrupt the prophetic program, so he doesn't identify the fourth kingdom. And again, historically, we know that to be Rome. We understand that. We saw it. We, we have seen it. Okay? But the kingdom that is going to come in the future is really that kingdom of the Antichrist where Christ is going to come back. Uh, come back, come over with me to the book of Revelation. Just, uh, just see this here for a moment. Look at Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17. In Revelation 17, we're just jumping in, verse 9, and here is the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Now, in, in the prophetic scripture, mountains are often referred, used to refer to as kingdoms. But we've got seven mountains, we've got seven kings. This is not a geography point. How do you know it? Verse 10, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come, and when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. See how, you read that and you go, what? Well, we've had five kingdoms come up against the nation of Israel. We've had Egypt, Syria, Babylon, Media, Persia, and then Greece. What's the one in control? Then he says, and one is. Well, historically, that's Rome. And the other is not yet come. Well, who hasn't showed up yet? The Antichrist. He's, of the sev he's number seven, verse 11. The first half of the Antichrist's career, he is the man of sin. He, use, he gets in and gets the ten kingdoms, the confederates to get together. But notice, then he goes into perdition, and that becomes the eighth in verse 10. See, so if you, if you just let it read what it reads, instead of reading into it, 
when John wrote Revelation, he has no idea about who. Paul, the dispensation of grace, 2,000 years of grace. He doesn't know none of that. Was he, so in Mark 13, when we hear, what are they doing? They don't know anything about the dispensation of grace. All they're getting ready is for the last days of the prophetic kingdom. They don't know about the interruption. And what they're seeing is that they're, see, they're seeing they're going on into the tribulation, the, the great tribulation, the Lord's day, the day of the Lord, the last days of prophecy. They're going into that fourth And again, they don't, that fourth kingdom is there. Again, historically, we know it to be Rome. But really, he's preparing them for who? The Antichrist. And that's literally what's happening. And again, Christ is preparing them to function in the last days of prophecy, to function in those days when he's not going to be there in his absence. In Matthew, Mark, where we're at, Luke and John, when he, he's getting them ready, we are just a, well, 14, 1, after, Mark 14, Verse 1, after two days was the feast of the Passover and unleavened bread. It's time for him to go to, cro to the cross now, see? So we're not, we're, we're just, in Mark, we're moving right along. The servant, the servant, the worker. And he did this, and immediately then he goes and does this. And, and the big word in Mark is immediately, immediately. The, what is the servant doing? So from our perspective, as we look back, we understand that all this has been interrupted. The dispensation of grace interrupts it. So everything that we're reading in verse 24, 25 is still yet to come. It's future of us. So in the Gospels and in the early Acts period, they don't know anything about the dispensation of grace, the Apostle Paul, the 2,000 years of grace. They, they are preparing for... And what their ministry is all about are these last days of prophecy, the 70th week, the tribulation, and in Christ's return and the establishment of the kingdom. That's where they're at. Okay? So verse 24 and verse 25, we have the, the cosmic uh, inner, uh, all of that, all that up there, that, that um, judgment of darkness. Verse 26. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So here's after the, the, at the, the, the return of Christ to the earth. Here it is. He's the Son of Man, and he's coming in power and great glory. Uh, if you come over to chapter 14, and we looked at this last time, the power and the great glory, but just so we know where we're at, uh, 14, look at verse 62. Mark 14, verse 62. And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So we have two, two positions that the Son of Man sits. Now, the Son of Man is a messianic title. Daniel 7 talks about the ancient the son of man coming to the ancient of days and receiving the authority to establish the kingdom and literally he's going to get he's getting the power and the authority to come and set up the kingdom on the earth and what's going to happen in that second coming 
And when he goes in there and he's going to, op- you know, the op- who's worthy to open the seals? Well, the lamb is. And in that second coming, when he comes back, he literally is the rightful owner and ruler of the universe. And that's what he's going to do here. But you'll notice that he is sitting and then coming in verse 62. Two positions. Now, that helps in the book of Revelation. So come over to Revelation 6. And the reason I say it helps is because when you get into Revelation, Mark 13 kind of fills in and helps understand Revelation. If you'll remember the book of the Revelation is a template. It's like an outline where the prophets, the 17 of them, the 12 minors and the 5 majors, literally lay over and fill in the outline of, of, of uh, Revelation. Revelation is also the restorer of Genesis. What, what we lose in Genesis, man regains back in Revelation. But if you'll, take an, if you'll just remember that the prophets in Revelation come in like that, and they fit together. So Revelation 6, if you look there at verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Now, this is where we're at in Mark 13. And when we get over Matthew 24 here in just a minute. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Next week, we'll look in Mark 13. We'll start in verse 28, and there's a parable of the fig tree. It fits right in. So where the Lord is talking about with his apostles is right here when that sixth seal opens. He says, listen, he doesn't tell us in Mark 13 about the beginning of the week or any of that because none of that is important to the servant. This is what you're doing in this period of time. The, seal, the books are open. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can open the seals. All of that darkness, verse 12, 13. Watch verse 14. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Notice what they're doing. They're not fighting against the Lord. They're hiding. Verse 16. And said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that, what? Sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Notice their posture here. They're hiding. Why? Because they see him doing what? He's sitting. So in the midst of the week there, they're going to look up, and what are they going to see? They're going to see him sitting. That's, again, Mark 14. There's two postures. Now come over to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. So some things happen on the earth, and a lot, actually a lot happens between the sixth seal and the seventh seal and all that good stuff. 
and, and then hear his coming back, Revelation 19, 11, 19, 11, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Well, who is this bloodied man from Bozrah and Idumea, Isaiah 63? And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. There's his, that's the second part of Mark 14. Here he comes. Now the armies of the earth aren't hiding, they're fighting. So between them seeing him sitting, Revelation 6, and Revelation 19, a lot has happened on the earth to embolden them to, hey, we can take them on and win. And that's really what the kings of the earth are so upset with the adversary in Isaiah 14 when these when they're mocking him as that's the little flock mocking him and in hell are these kings waiting because he sold them a bill of goods they bought it but they're mad at him because he promised them victory and in the end they got defeat defeat <laughs> they got defeat okay <laughs> all right there's dad jokes right there that just went doo -doo -doo -doo, right through the mind see He's now, so the whole process of him coming, again, he is sitting, and then, then he's on the horse coming back. So when you come back to Mark 13, where we're at here, all that's reviewed from the last two studies, okay? Mark, four, Mark 13, I'm sorry, verse 27, and then shall he send his angels. Notice Notice the Mark 13, 27 is a verse that gets read real quickly and a lot gets missed. I, I was reading this past week, uh, actually last week too, some stuff on some things I'm studying and looking into. And I'm noticing that, and I'm listening to guys talk about it, and I'm noticing they're not reading the verses accurately. They're reading them so, they, so it makes it sound like what they're saying is, backed up when it's really not so you have to be very careful with how you read the verses mark 13 27 and then shall he send then when then when after the days of tribulation after all that cosmic as he's coming back one of the components in his second coming that we see here is not only is he coming back in power and in great glory, but he's also establishing the new covenant, doing some different things. But all, he's also doing what? Going to send his angels out and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the ut uttermost part of the earth and to the uttermost part of heaven. Now, we understand that, again, when we read that, 
he's coming back, and again, this is opposite his first coming, Zechariah 9, he first comes lowly and meek and riding on a, you know, he, he comes as redeemer, not as avenger and uh, uh, destroyer, what's, deliverer, thank you, <laughs> okay, and king, he comes as redeemer, all right, here he's coming back to clean their clock, he's coming back to destroy the Antichrist and the satanic policy of evil, and then to set up his kingdom. So after all of that, now he's going to do something here, and again, got to pay attention very closely. So look over with me at Matthew 24, which is the comparative passage. It's where we're at. And just kind of notice some things here. Hold on to Mark 13. Don't get too far away from it. If you look at Matthew 24, verse uh, well, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Again, so that's where we're at in Mark 13. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Notice, what are they looking for? What's the sign of your coming? What, how's this going to happen? The, when does the sign of the Son of Man in heaven appear? After that cosmic interruption out there. And again, all of that creation out there, when it, they know it's ta what's happening. The sun understands it. The moon understands it. The stars do. They're not going, okay, what's going on now? They know it's time for it all to be put back in order. That's why Romans 8, when the, create, the creature is groaning and waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, and we, and understanding who the sons of God are, yes, they are angels, but it's also the true Israel of God, and it's you and I. And when we're all where we're supposed to be, Ephesians 1.10, then creation will be placed back in Genesis 1.1 condition. Okay? The new heaven and the new earth. They understand it's time to get this done. So the son isn't saying, hang on a minute, wait a minute, son, you know, I'm not supposed to be doing that. No, the son's like, yep, let's do it. What's going to happen, verse 30? Then shall appear the, the sign of the Son of Man. Again, that title associated with him coming back and receiving the authority to bring in the kingdom. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Notice the issue there. He's well, who are they gathering? The elect. You come back... You can stick something in Matthew 24, but if you come back to Mark 13, we've already studied out the elect and who they are. And, and again, the elect, that's believing Israel, okay? We, we've already, we, we understand the Lord says it. He's been dealing with it in his earthly ministry. All, they say they're Jews, but they're really not. Remember Revelation 2? They're, they belong to the synagogue of Satan. Romans 9, not all of Israel are Israel. What's he been doing? The Pharisees and the leadership of Israel aren't, aren't believers. 
They're apostates. Get out of that mess. Get over here in the believing remnant. So the elect, uh, 13, uh, Mark 13, verse 20, and except th that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen. That's what the elect means. The word means whom he hath chosen. The chosen ones. He has shortened the days. Verse 22, for false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall sow signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. And again, we have to remember, in Scripture, election never means salvation. It always means service. Isaiah 42, the Father says, Behold my Son, mine elect. So there, so there are four elect, four elect companies, groups, if you will, in, in Scripture. The first one is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only, only person ever born that had his eternal destiny prefixed. You and I, we get a choice, heaven or hell. He didn't have a choice. It was already prefixed. So the elect here is Israel, but where? In Christ. You and I, Ephesians 1, Colossians 3, we're called, the, the body is, it was chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Not the individual. Uh, look, 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 over, look over there. Uh, look at uh, first, uh, look at first Corinthians 1. I know we, we've studied these, and I don't want to get bogged down. So you have Jesus Christ, the elect. You have Israel in Christ. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. That's where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're at in Scripture. Just because you're born a Jew doesn't mean you're in the, 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 the true Israel of God. It just means you have a, a, a distinct advantage. Okay. Then you have the church, the body of Christ, the corporate body. By the way, 1 Timothy 5, Paul talks about the elect angels. Some will say only the elect are only angels. Well, no, we have Jesus Christ who is an elect, we have Israel who's an elect, and we have the body of Christ who's elect. See? So what a, what that issue of elect is, is the Lord or God the Father has an agency that he's chosen to accomplish something in his purpose and plan. You get into the agency individually. Okay? All right? 1 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 21. Because what happens is, is when you argue with the Calvinists, they say, do you believe in the corporate election or just the individual election? Well, the answer is yes and yes. Because we believe in the body corporately, but we also believe in the individual. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that what? Well, when you believe, where, where by one spirit are we all baptized into what one body you see so individually by believing the gospel 
you're placed into the body of Christ. Therefore, Colossians 3, guess what we're called? The elect. Why? We're in this agency to go and do. So, and, and by the way, that's the same thing with the nation of Israel. Remember, come over to John 1. <clears throat> I have to, I didn't get all sidetracked in all this, but yeah, because what happens is, is Matthew 24 and Mark 13, 27, they get misread quickly, okay? And you have to pay attention to what's happening. He chose Israel to be his nation. But not all of Israel are Israel. John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him. Okay, so not everybody in the nation rejected the Lord. Some did what? Hey, he's Messiah. He's the, he's the one the prophets were talking about. To them, the ones that received him, the ones that believed him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's the born-again status. Physically, yes, they're the nation of Israel, but now spiritually they are. But how did they get there? They had to do what? Receive him, come the way their program talks about. So when you come back to Mark 13, kind of get back on track here, the elect here is that believing remnant in Israel, those in Christ. That's who's being regathered. He's going to send the angels out there, and he's going to regather the elect, the believing remnant, the little flock in Israel. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Okay? He looks at the Pharisees, and he says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, and I'm going to give it to a nation, bringing forth the fruits of, of uh, righteousness. That nation is the little flock, the believing remnant. They've been scattered under the fifth course of judgment of Leviticus 26. That's where they've been now a part of the 70th week of Daniel. By the way, the 70th week's whole design is to purge out the rebel, to get rid of the pretenders, to come along and to identify the, they say they're Jews but they're really not okay he's going to come up and he's going to gather them out of the four winds now we understand what that is and again this is where people read stuff into this that's not there the four winds north south east and west in Psalms the Lord says uh, uh, David says he's going to forgive your sins as far as the east is from the west well, how far is that? You go east far enough, now you're going west. That's the circle around it. And I know what happens. Oh, no, that's not. Yes, it is. You just called the book a lie. And the book's not a lie. So, sorry. Okay. So, again, reading stuff into this. On uttermost parts of the earth to the uttermost parts of heaven. That's not the outer space. That's the... That's the, clo that's the open firmament here where we work and live, okay? He, he's not talking about all the way out there and some, you know, goofball conspiracy thing. He's talking about right here on the earth because that's where he dispersed them. 
they scattered. Now, this is a description of what God did to Israel when he sent them into captivity under in Babylon. So we got to go all the way. So let's go back to Leviticus 26. And just notice this. It, it, it's very frustrating for me. When I hear people and I look at things and, I re, and, and they're, just, they're reading stuff into the passage, when just simply reading it, you know, and I know what it is, is they've got to have the Bible say what they want it to say to add some legitimacy to what they're saying. The problem is, and Solomon said it, there's nothing new under the sun. And when you get into it, you know, you quickly start denounce When you're trying to get, <laughs> Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And just when you think you got verses to back up your agenda, another verse will pop up that will just pull the rug right from out from underneath it. It's best just to leave it alone. If you, <laughs> many, many, many moons ago, I was reading some stuff about who killed JFK. You know, And I, read a, 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 I was reading a book, actually, and the guy made a great point. He said, the government that we don't trust is the very government that we say is keeping a secret about who killed him. Nobody in the government can keep anything a secret. It leaks out like a sieve because it's, it's, it's humanity. Now, I got my own ideas, but you know what? It doesn't matter who killed him. He's dead. You're not going to bring him back. And I, get, I understand you get a lot. So you've got to be careful when you start dragging the Bible into conspiracy because you're looking for legitimacy and you're looking for, you know, well, oh, you guys, Bible believers, it says this. No, it doesn't say that. Anyway, Leviticus 26. We've got 20 minutes to do a lot. If you, in Leviticus 26, you start in verse 14. He says, but if ye will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, and if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. And in verse 16 down to verse 39, there are five courses of judgment that the Lord brings in on, that God puts on Israel for not following his commandments. Okay? And they build on top of each other. They don't, one doesn't go and then ends and go away. If you look there at, well, verse, verse 16 and 17 is the first one. Verse 18, and if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times, notice that word, more, more. In other words, one didn't go away, I'm adding on it. And he does it all through here and more. And the only, really the only time that they get any break is during the 80 years of King David and Solomon. And then, boom, they're right back into them. If you look at verse 27, here's the fifth one. And if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. Now, remember that here in just a minute. 
Because if they're eating people, that's desperate times. That isn't like this cannibalism nonsense that you hear about and stupidity stuff. This is desperate times of a great magnitude that's going to happen in Israel. They say that the mothers were eating their children a span long. That's a newborn. That's 18 inches as a span. That's desperate. No food, period. By the way, there are places all over this world that are in that same condition. Not because of God's judgment, but because of man's stupidity. But look down at verse number, well, verse 30. I will destroy your high places, cut down your images, cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idol, idols, and my soul shall abhor you. And I will make your cities waste and bring you, you bring your sanctuaries unto desolation. And I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. And I will bring the land into desolation. And your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen. And will draw out a sword after you. And your land shall be desolate. And your cities waste. Then shall the land... And, and he just keeps going. By the way, verse 40 is how you get out. How they were to get out of the judgments. At any time... They could have done verse 40 and following, and God would have removed the judgment. That's why in Daniel 9, Daniel does this, because the 70 years of the Babylonian captivity are up. Verse 40, if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers. Notice, this is a national confession. Confession in Israel was national always, was never an individual thing. That's why Daniel in Daniel 9, he says, we have done this. We, 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 you know, we've done this. Then he says, uh, with their trespasses, and then, you know, verse 41, that I also have walked contrary unto them, and, and so on, and you can read that in a future day. Notice what's happening here. In that fifth course, they're going to have such destitute, such turmoil, such famine, that their enemies are just going to be able to walk up and take them, and then take them away, scattered among the heathen. Now, watch this. Come over to Psalms 44. Psalms 44. Psalms 44. Uh, this is uh, for the sons of Korah. Psalms 44, verse 11. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat. Isn't that interesting? Look at their condition, the sons of Korah. They're what? They're just, uh, they're dog food. They're just sheep for meat. We're just going to get destroyed here. We're going to get devoured and has scattered us among the heathen. Come over to Ezekiel chapter 5. Ezekiel 5. I mean, this is destitute time. This is the judgment, the fifth course. Nebuchadnezzar sacks Jerusalem three times, and on the third time he gets Daniel and those guys. But they're just scattered. They're carried away to the four winds. Ezekiel 5, if you look at verse uh, 10, Therefore the fathers shall eat the sons in the midst of thee, and the sons shall eat their fathers. Again, what did he tell them? You're going you're gonna, to, sons are eating dad, dad's eating, mother, son. It's, de, it's, boy, what a 
what real judgment here? That's bad news. That's really bad. Destitute. I mean, we think we go a day or... When I had my colonoscopy, you go a couple days without eating. It's like, oh, this is bad, you know. Forget all the stuff you got to take. You're just not eating. It's like, oh. No, this isn't just a day or two. This is seasons. I will execute judgments in thee, and the whole remnant of thee will I scatter into all the winds. Verse 12. A third part of thee shall die with the pestilence and with famine shall they be consumed in the midst of thee. And the third part shall fall by the sword round about thee. And I will scatter a third part into all the winds, and I will draw out a sword after them. Notice, if you're in this third part, you're dying with the pestilence. In this third part, you're dying this way. In this third part, you're going to get scattered out there, and you're going to wish you were dead. Scattered. Come over to Zechariah chapter 2. Now, I just picked a few. You can pick a bunch. Zechariah chapter 2. Actually, I'm cutting out a few of them just because of the time. Zechariah 2, verse 5. For I say, for I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire, a fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. That, that's Israel, back Jerusalem, back up in verse 4. Ho, ho. Now you think Santa is the only one that said that. <laughs> okay. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. By the way, which way does he come? He comes out of the north. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. Boy, what? Verse 7, deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughters of who? Babylon. You see, in the, back in the day, what did he do with them? He scattered them. He sent them out there. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts here, in Rome, and in early Acts, what are they doing? He, he's, what's he talking about? They, he's going to send the angels out there, and what are they going to do? They're going to gather up. that scattered believing remnant. In Psalms there, he talks about, uh, well, the angels, and they're going to take care of them, and they're charges them. What's he going to do? He's sending the angels out there. So in Mark 13, when we come back here, one of the components, one of the issues in the second coming, <coughs> there's quite a few actually, one, he comes back in wrath and war and judgment, event, destroying the Antichrist and the satanic policy of evil. And then he's going to deliver the nation. He's going to gather up the true Israel of God. Then he's going to come over here and he's going to establish the new covenant with them. And then he's going to set up his kingdom. Meanwhile, what's he doing to everybody else? He's way late, weighing them out, just done with them. So when you come into Mark 13, 27, that's what he's doing here. The gathering take place at the second coming in connection with his return with power and great glory. That's the issue. Now what happens is, is again, people use this verse, and they use the verse really in Matthew 24, and they use this, Matthew 24, 31, 
And when he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. They use this stuff to say, see, there's the rapture of the church as well. <coughs> Excuse me. And what they do is they, they work their hardest to make this event be the event of all, okay? And what they're trying to do is they, make, they take that word elect and they say it's all the saved people of all time and they're going to be, and they use that gathering together. But yet when you begin to look at this, they, they'll say, well, see, it's got a trumpet. It's got a gathering together. It's got the four winds of the earth. And they, and they focus in on the similarities. But yet, when you go read 1 Thessalonians 4, by the way, in 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul calls it our gathering together. So they say, see, here it's what? Gather them together. They shall gather together. He's going to gather them together, so that must be our gathering together. Paul says it. See, Matthew says it. Mark says it. So it's got to be the same thing. And yet, what you learn when you dispensational Bible study or rightly divide the word of truth, rightly divide, is you also have to look at the distinctions. When you have similarities you also have to look at for the distinctive the distinctions the differences because when you look at the differences then you begin to really understand that they are not the same event okay and what happens is is you look at mark 13 there you can come over to first thessalonians 4 or, or Matthew 24, if you would rather use. That's really the verse that they use. It's, it's fascinating how these guys stay, stay in Matthew a lot, and they don't go, get into Mark or Luke, because <laughs> it's the first book I guess they come to. And, oh, see, look. Well, look in, look in Mar Matthew or Mark, whichever one you want. Verse 27, then shall he send his, what, angels. Well, look at 1 Thessalonians 4, and look at verse 16. For you and I, our rapture, okay? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Wait a minute. The Lord comes for you and I. He doesn't send angels. That's a, that's a difference. It's a distinction that needs to be noted. The Lord himself, okay? By the way, the, the signs in verse in, in Mark 13, the signs in verse 24 and 25 are very visible. 1 Thessalonians 4 is very invisible. They don't see it. They're going to hear it because there's a shout and a voice and a trumpet. So they're, they're going to know there's grumblings, but they're not going to see it. This, everything goes dark. They see that. See. The, in, in, in Matthew 24... Verse 28, he talks about for 
wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered. That's wrath. Carcass is the byproduct in Revelation 19 there of the birds coming to feast on the field and clean them up. In 1 Thessalonians 4, actually it's chapter 5, verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. We're out before the wrath. So a little different. Again, the distinction, rightly dividing the word, put it where it belongs. You, you, you look there in uh, verse, I'm in Matthew 24, verse 30. They're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and grace. They're not happy to see the Son of Man. You and I, we, we, we what? We rejoice to see him. There's a, there's a, there's a, a happy day. In verse, uh, well, again, he sends his angels. He himself comes. In 1 Thessalonians 4, there's a resurrection of the dead and the living. In Matthew and in Mark, there are no resurrections. He just goes out and they gather them up. By the way, the resurrection is going to happen in the 75 days leading into the kingdom, Revelation uh, 20 and all that talks about. Okay, So you, you got differences there. Uh, verse uh, In both Matthew and Mark it says, after the days of that tribulation. So where are we? We're after the 70th week. So you know what begins to happen? Now we are a post-tribulation rapture. Wait a minute, that's not what the... Paul says, we're out of here before the wrath to come. We're a pre-trib thought process, see. So what you have when you get into these, they want theology, scholars, preachers, seminaries, Bible, all that, they want to make it all one thing over here. By the way, just like they want to say there's only one gospel when there isn't. There's more than one, Okay. But they want to make and they want to make it after the tribulation so that they can make you and I, the body of Christ, go through the trib. And we're not. And what they do with 1 Thessalonians 4 or 1 Corinthians 15 is they, they make it, they spiritualize it. I heard Hank Hanegraaff do this one time in a meeting. I was sitting there. And he's like, well, that's not really what's going to happen. That's just a metaphor and a story about how this is all going to happen over here at the end. And the poor guy, I thought he was going to get shot, called him down off of it and said, no, uh wait a minute. Either the book is right or the book isn't right. Well, what the gentleman didn't acknowledge was Hank doesn't use a Bible. He uses whatever Bible fits his moment. He does, his own words almost, <laughs> paraphrased by me, I guess. See? So, so when you get into these passages, they, all, they do all this to make the rapture post-trib. After the tribulation of those days, see, and that's just not the case. Then they do the, the trump. Uh, Matthew, he's got, uh, Mark doesn't have this. In Matthew uh, 24, uh, this is what is, is very, this, honestly, the thing here about the trumpet is very poor Bible study. Uh Matthew 24, 31, and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And, they, and then Paul talks about the trump of God. 
in 1 Thessalonians 4. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the last trumpet. So what they do is they say, see, look, there's going to be that seventh trumpet's going to blow. By the way, that's in Revelation 11. Where are we at here in Matthew and in Mark? Just in Matthew and Mark. We are after the days of the tribulation. Revelation 11 is over here in the trib. This is after that's all done. There's going to be what? Another trumpet blow. See? Not, it's not the last trumpet. Now, Paul talks about the trump of God, and then he talks about the last trumpet. And when you study those, but they're the trumps of God. Angels are blowing these trumpets. By the way, and this is where the bad, the poor Bible study comes in, in my observation, is that there are more trumpets blown announcing the king and then announcing the beginning of the kingdom and him going into the kingdom. And literally, if you read it a certain way, that last trump that starts in Revelation 11 lasts all the way through to the new. Because there's trumpets that are blow, you know, you, you can look at it as different trumpets or the same trumpet. The thing is, is you and I, we have a trumpet that, are, that raises up the dead. And we have a trumpet that brings home the living. We have two blows of the trumpet. The last trumpet in 1 Corinthians 15, last, previously in that chapter, he says the first Adam and the second Adam. Then he says the first Adam and the last Adam. And they fall off or uh, line up with each other, second being the last one. So when you come, my point is, is don't let somebody read you out of this. Now, all that, just go back to Mark 13. They're, the distinctions, the differences, you've got to pay attention to them. That's why, that's why right division just, it doesn't make you smarter than anybody else. It just makes you more careful, especially with the word of God. They, they, they want to make, Christianity wants to make the rapture at the end of the trib so that you and I have an excuse to go through the trib. And Paul says, no, that's not what happens we are, Romans 5, right here, right in the beginning, Romans 5, right after announcing that you, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If I've got peace with God, then why am I going through wrath and judgment? No. Look down at verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And wrath there isn't tribulation and trouble in a daily life. He just told you that in verse 3, 4, and 5. See, He's talking about that day of wrath out in the future. We're not going in there. Why? Because we're justified. We're part of the body of Christ. And we're going to be taken up and out of the way. And really, Romans 5 is talking about your eternal security, that you're not going to go through that. Mark 13, 27, they use this verse to say, look, the angels are coming. They're going to, carry, they're going to come out. They're going to get us all together, both the believing remnant and the believers of the body. But there's no resurrection in any of these passages. 
and off they go. Now, why they go, why verse 27, then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect. Why do they go get the believing remnant? Well, Luke 12. Maybe some of that made sense. If not, then you just work on it. And I know in the Thessalonians class, when we studied the book of Thessalonians, we went through some of that and looked at that. I know we did it in the Matthew study when we were in Matthew 24 and so forth. But look at Luke 12 and verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's why they're going out, gathering up the scattered elect. Why? Because it's time for the kingdom to be established. What has he done? He's come back. He's poured out his, his power and his great glory. By the way, great glory, Matthew 25, 31, when he sits on the throne of his glory and the angels are there and he divides out the sheep from the goats, the Gentile nations get divvied up there and so forth. And what does he tell the sheep? You did this to the least of my brethren. You did it unto me. Go into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Who's sitting around the throne watching that? That believing remnant. And he moves them in. You see, it's now time to get the kingdom started. So what do we need? We need the little flock to be there because they're the kingdom nation. They're the nation of Israel that's going to take care of the kingdom. So when you come back to Mark 13... Now the time's up. And we learn now in verse 28, now learn a parable of the fig tree. And now we're going to go get even more confused in modern day Christianity about the fig tree. Because they butcher this all up too, and we'll talk about that next time, okay? Next week. Just be careful. When you look at things, don't just look for the similarities, that's why word studies are so not good. Because when you find a word, the context, Sunday we're going to talk about the word established in Romans 16. And it, 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 the word is to be established, S-T-A, not established. That's Romans 111. So what you do is you do a big word study and you come to this wonderful conclusion that really those two words are inter interchangeable but not in the context. They're not, okay? Because the context is what tells you how to define the word. And the word without a context is a pre... It, it has no meaning. You've, you've, if I said stop at the red light, what would you do at the red light? Well, stop. See, you got, you, there's context to that. There's meaning to that simple statement. Same in Scripture. So when you go find a word, and you're, and again, I, by the way, now I do word studies. Don't get me wrong. But they're dangerous in that we tend to forget the context in which they sit. And when you go in and you look at the, con the totality of the context, what begins to quickly happen is you go, I see distinctions here. I see differences. This is them. This is us. That's Israel, kingdom program, prophecy. This is me today, mystery. And you got to be careful with that. By the way, they do that with the fig tree. They butcher it. So we'll talk about all that next time, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the look here. We thank you for some understanding of 
your return and what you're going to accomplish and who you're going to accomplish it with and through. And we'll give you the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.